What is up? What is good? How you living? How you feeling? How you doing? I have somebody with me today that has built something that has become pervasive, and he is deep into a world that I am deep into. His name is Josh Ruber. If you've ever used StockX, he's the reason that you have that ability. Josh, we have texted, we have we have looked at cards together, and I've never asked you this question. How do you feel today? How are you right now? I feel like I, I need to have you, um, you know, do my intro for all my uh, uh, speaking engagements. Have you as my hype man come out? Should we do this? Is this could be hype X, where mm-hmm. it's a little bit like cameo, and like you yep. walk into a room, but you get to play Michael Buffer. Uh huh. Okay, that's actually that's a pretty smart use of cameo, right? Is have someone just record an intro of you, and then you have a personal intro of you know, whomever you want walking into it. I got somebody hit me up recently and they were like, Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to book you for a cameo to, to talk about my product. And I was like, wait a second. Uh I was like, no, that's not, that's not allowed. I'm not doing that. Um, I was just looking you up and I see, and you've been posting recently on social media, your business cards from different jobs that you had. Um, so I, I don't want to do a full retracing of your story because I'm sure you've mm-hmm. retold it a million times, but I kind of want a few key moments. What was your writing on a napkin idea moment where it came into focus? And I'll, I'll kind of just leave it open with that. When was the, when was that, you know, foundation idea moment? You know, it's funny that you use the, the, writing on a napkin, um, you know, analogy, it's not, I mean, almost every business I've had has started on the back of an index card or started on the back of a, a piece of paper. Um, I'm, uh, I'm in the process of moving from Detroit to Austin and I'm going to, uh, try to get down there by the time uh, I will get down there by the time kids start school in, in August. And so I've been going through all the boxes in my basement, which is why I found those, those business cards, trying to clear out some crap before we, we move, you know, again. And I found, my name tag uh, for the bar. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Well, I, I passed the bar and I did work as a lawyer for, for about uh, 11 months. But um, so when you go take the bar and it was the Georgia bar after I graduated uh, from our Emory Law School as a JD MBA and you go into the, the bar and it's this big, massive, you know, like um, uh, event space, you know, and, and there's just desks you know, this is pretty social distancing, but every six feet apart, you have all this. And the only thing you can bring in there is a pencil. And then they give you your name tag. So it's a, an index card and it's got your name on the front of it and just says, you know, Joshua, but whatever your, your number is. And that's all you can have in the whole thing. And you can't leave. And it's a six hour exam, I think, or it could have been longer, but you can't leave even if you finish early. And I finished every test I've ever taken in every grade first. I just either know it or I don't. And I just, I'm done. So I finished like an hour and a half before anyone else and I couldn't go anywhere. So I found my name tag and on the back of it is like a fully modeled business plan for the business that I was about to start at the time. Cause all I had was a pencil and that note card and I still have it. That wasn't the, the aha moment, but there's been something like that at almost every company I've started in whatever company I was at before. And at for StockX, I had this like one piece of paper that uh, basically had these three, it, it was super simple. There were three things on it. It was a price guide. It was the idea of sneaker portfolios and the idea of a sneaker stock market, which was this sort of progression between what you could do if you understood the value of any single pair of sneakers. And I took that one piece of paper to everyone in the sneaker industry, Nike, eBay, Foot Locker, Complex, like you name it. And there was never really a good fit of sort of who understood what I was trying to do with that. And, you know, if there was a, an aha moment, it was that when I met Dan Gilbert, and that's a whole another long story, but when I met Dan and his team, they essentially had the same piece of paper. They had the mm-hmm. same napkin that, you know, I took out this thing and said, you know, this is what I think we can build. And this is what I'm trying to do. And they looked at me with pure shock. And then one of them takes out a piece of paper. And it's like, yeah, we have one of those. That is what were exactly they, were they what deep? we want Cause to like, build. I know, I know that you've been deep in the sneaker world, like your whole life. What, why were they even like in those waters? Yeah, you know, Dan's got no ties to sneakers whatsoever. I mean, it's been uh, at this point five years and I, I can't get him to wear sneakers, right? But um, what StockX is, it started as a sneaker marketplace, but the, the real business is using the stock market, using the way the stock market uh, finds a, a true market price 
uh, and applying that to, con- to consumer goods. And so yeah. the idea is, we used to call, we, we still call it a stock market of things. So it's always about this sort of bigger idea about the business model. The business model is why StockX is what it is. We happen to sell sneakers and we happen to sell a lot of other products. And so Dan, he was coming at it from top down. I was building this up in the sneaker world saying, hey, this would work really well for sneakers. This would be perfect. And Dan's like, mm. he's like, that should be how the whole world works. This should be like the future of all e-commerce. I was like, hell yeah, I'm on board with that. Like, let's go build that. Hmm. And so we were coming at it from, from different angles, but it was the same idea. It was the idea was using the stock market for consumer goods. Hmm. And now uh, I remember before even meeting you and stuff, I think I saw like a TED talk you did. And now it's a very popular thing to compare an emerging market asset class to the S&P 500. But yours was yeah. one of the first time where I saw it, where it was like, if you compare this Jordan to the stock market, it's outpaced it. And as someone that um, I have a lot of friends in the sneaker industry, I, uh, you know, I had my early grails. I did one camp out session one time. Um, I never, I never thought of sneakers financially like that. I thought of clout and I thought of Mm. uh, the, for me, the greatest part about sneakers is, somebody literally pointing at your shoes and then sometimes they don't even need to say anything. They just like give you a really slow head nod. So like, I loved that. Um, But when I saw you talk about compared to the market, I found it funny that that's how I see people talking about sports cards now, where it's always when you compare it to the S and P 500, look how it's performing, you know? Well, the, the, the main difference, like there's so many similarities between sneakers in 2013, 2014, when we were concepting what would become StockX and trading cards right now. I mean, so many similarities, but the one major difference is that trading cards actually are true investable assets. Mm. They are long-term investments. Sneakers, notwithstanding all the ones that, that I own and the amount of money that, that people have made buying and selling sneakers, they're not good long-term investments. They're still just rubber and leather and glue. So they're, they're not actually, um, you know, investments. I was trying to make a point um, in, the, in the TED Talk uh, using, you know, showing the return against the S&P, against, you know, Apple, against, uh, you know, other stocks. There's all sorts of holes in that. Of You can't go buy, I can buy an unlimited amount of Apple stock. Right. I can't go buy an unlimited amount of, of Jordan 3 black cements. And the irony of all that is that, the name of the TED talk and they named it when, uh, you know, they choose certain ones to go on their website and they named it why sneakers are a good investment. And for six and a half years, I've been meaning to email them and say, Hey, you know what? That's not really the right title. And I just never got around to doing that. And so, uh, you know, the irony is I don't like sneakers aren't a good investment, but there's a lot of money to be made buying and selling. Them. Sure. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask about the white paper napkin, which turns out to be a name tag. The second mm-hmm. part is, um, I always, I always have this moment when I'm hearing kids talking about unpaid internships, because I feel like we were in that generation that had to, um, oh, yeah. and, and thus there's this moment where we're conflicted because we know that we don't need to subject people to that, but we also know that that creates a certain level of grind that is hard to replicate. So I don't want you to take me back to the internships and all that stuff, but in the building process, is there one moment that you look at and you were like, that is the grindiest part of that grind that just sticks out as you're reminiscing about it now? Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And there's so much of that, like for years and years and years. Sure. And, you know, no, it's not an unpaid internship, but you know, uh, if you're running your own company, or if you're trying to start something on the side before Kinda you like, go like full time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's way more work. It's way, you know, you get, you get paid way less because it's only what you can create. There's no one there to even take you out to lunch. Right. You know, it's, it's completely different. Um, the, the company that I started, which became StockX, which was called Campless and Campless was a price guide for sneakers. And so the very, very basic uh, function that we did was we, we pulled in eBay data and created a price guide, not unlike a lot of these guys right now, like, like card ladder. Right. Um, you know, you know, the card ladder guys, I think they're great. Um, I remember the first time I met them and I was, uh, I was with the guy who was my CTO at campus, who was my first CTO at StockX, and I still working with today. And he and I are looking at each other like, holy shit, this is like us, like, you know, 10 years ago, it was like the exact same thing. Listen to them, like parse through eBay data and like writing all these queries at like three in the morning to yeah. do this. That was the the longest sustained period of like, 
why am I grinding and what am I doing? Which was like, I spent 18 months where all I did was write queries to parse through eBay data and like knee deep in Excel spreadsheets. And that was it. And there was nothing like we didn't have, I mean, I, there, there was nothing. All it was, was this idea that if I can clean up this data, then maybe I can create a price guide. And there seems to be a need for a sneaker price guide. And this is mm-hmm. back in 2012. Um, and then maybe that becomes something else. And maybe that becomes something else, but there is no, even like, even 1% thought, no, like even a fraction percent thought that what has transpired could have transpired from that at that moment. All I knew was this seemed like the next thing to do moving forward. And like, what was I going to do? I was going to go watch like TV or like go to a movie. Like, right. No, like this, it was, this is, this is what I was doing. And that was, it was probably 18 months of that. Yeah. You're just, you're maintaining data. You're just keeping it alive at that point. Absolutely. And then my, my third kind of timeline question would be the not not selling um not you know getting the big deal and 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 going wow this is a thing um w- when though did the momentum start to happen that you had the right people behind you and you were like my vision is going to be executed not the dopamine payoff not the sale yeah. but when were you like holy shit that the back of the name tag is coming to fruition <laughs> Um, we started StockX, uh, we launched the business in February of 2016. And in, um, September of 2016 was the first big Jordan release, um, after we had launched and it was the Jordan one bread, you know, the, the OG black and red colorway. And, you know, the, the hypothesis for StockX was that if we were, we were leveraging how the stock market works that the more liquidity there was, the better the marketplace would function. More accurate spread, data. Your, yeah, more accurate data. Your, your spreads would get closer. You would have, you know, sort of real-time bids and asks. And, uh, and so, and, and that makes sense. I mean, in the actual stock market, there's essentially infinite liquidity, right? There's, a, there's an unlimited amount of, of Nike uh, stock. So the spread between the bid and ask is, is fractions of a cent. Um, so, we knew that that was fundamental to the model, but obviously as a marketplace, as a new startup, it's a, it's a chicken, the egg, you're trying to get buyers, you're trying to get sellers and you're trying to go this. And so we were grinding and grinding and grinding. And we had gone from about zero sales a day when we launched to about 50 or 60 sales a day, very, very slowly from February to September. And then I forget the exact date, September 3rd, I think that the Jordan one OG drops. And that day we did 301 sales which if we're doing 60, 70 a day, I mean, we'd never even broken hundred, let alone 300. And I mean, I remember, I mean, literally we're, we're, you know, even app on the phone that tells you, you know, the, your, your stats for the day. And we're refreshing that thing every four seconds for, you know, the whole day. Yeah. And, and that was the day when it was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like this is going to work. And like, this is working by the way, is nowhere near what we are today and in, in going in, what, you know, where, whatever the value of the company is, you know, probably, probably north of, of uh, $4 billion. But it was that the, the model, the idea that we had of leveraging that stock market model was going to work because it was working so much better when there was liquidity in the market all at the same time to be able to have 301 sales that day when we had, were only doing 1670 was, oh yes, like this is, this is working. Mm. And obviously you have a long way to go to get from 300 sales to, you know, today we probably do north of 30,000 sneakers a day. Crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, actually it's been a long time since I've been saw any numbers at StockX. I left in September, but it's, it's a whole nother, uh, another light years away, but that was the day. It was uh, the first thing that you said when you said 301 is I think about the error code that it's like mm-hmm. not valid. And it's like, it, that kind of is like, Oh, a website crashes. Uh, but I, I like that that's sort of the website exploding for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, you know, you have this TED talk that is improperly labeled uh, sneakers are a great investment. Um, since COVID shut everything down, that's sort of how I, me and you got connected uh, through Gary in the chat. Um, that's how I got so deep into the hobby. And I know that you, you've had a history in it, but I know you got really, really deep in the hobby. We've seen an explosion uh, with NFTs. We've seen an explosion of a lot of people looking around at the really wealthy in this country and going, I need to get in early and I need to invest in what I know. And I, and, and, and it seems like everyone's trying to discover that right now. Um, 
I'm curious what your your view is just on the the marketplace of ideas as a whole, where everyone believes I'm I'm first in. This is I'm, I got my foot in the door and I'm early, and I it it's it's getting redundant now. Like it's exciting, but it's a little redundant. I'm curious what you think. I don't think it's that. I mean, that's not new, right? Uh, the the products are new. The 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 where we're going, but whether it was you know, whether it's different startups and the first, uh, you know, the first dot-com uh, rise and crash in the, in the late nineties or, or the, the future waves. I mean, as a entrepreneur, it's been a very interesting ride for me in that StockX was the first business that I created. That was an intersection of things that I personally was passionate about and, uh, and a business. I almost intentionally avoided creating any businesses in sneakers for years because I was such a big sneaker collector that I didn't want to create a business that was, you know, an excuse to, to play with sneakers. And is that why those other businesses failed or didn't do as well as StockX? Maybe, maybe not. You know, it's certainly not the primary reason, but it's, there's something there. And, you know, the fact that I'm now creating businesses and trading cards, I mean, look, when I was 10 years old, the only two things I cared about in the whole world were baseball cards and, and sneakers. Like that was it. And so, yeah, there's a lot of people chasing all sorts of, of opportunities, but, you know, what do we recommend to every single person getting into to card sales? It's just buy what you like, buy what you like, start there. And then if you learn more and want to expand out and do other stuff, that's great. But at least, you know, even if it doesn't turn into investment, you're happy with you. And when I got back into cards and I, I started buying cards again in, at the national in uh, August of 2019, all I bought the whole time I was there was Embiid, Simmons, and Wentz rookies. Like that was it, right? And then from there, I you know I, I, I started the sports. Yeah, you know how and, much and, of those Wentz do you still have? Yeah, I've, I've sold off most of them. I was uh, well, I, I'm I sure held on right to, when he signed yeah. with the Colts, there was a bump in the price. Uh-huh. I'm sure you were like, I got to move some right now. I did. I, I sold a bunch when he sold with the Colts, but I, I held on to a couple just from yeah you know, to remember remember that 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 eleven games. Plus, he's going to have a great year, and it's going to yeah. really suck. He's going to have, look, I've already said, I said, Eagles fans, like they're going to go on a serious run this year at that offensive line, that weapon and that coaching staff. Now, my, my belief is that Carson Wentz is going to do this to himself again in years two or three, but year one is it's a honeymoon stage. You yeah, know what I mean, I, the big what question do you like I don't... to do, what's your favorite food? That's where it is right now. It's so nice. It's not going to be. That it good. is, but it, the question, I, I don't know if maybe you have better insight than this than I do, but. Physically, physically, where is he at versus where he was that MVP season, right? Exactly. And like there were so many other problems that 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 masked that over the past couple of years. You know, like he got hurt on a play. I mean, it was a phenomenal run that like if, you know, if he didn't have that mobility, if he didn't have that athleticism to get out of there, then maybe he doesn't even get hurt there and it's a completely different ball game. So, yeah, I, don't I think know. you're right. But, all of the drama about is he a good leader? Is he a good guy? Is this all a, f- a facade has covered up the fact that he's got a bulky knee brace and he is yeah. not nearly as mobile as he used to be. Yeah. Um, so. uh, just to, to get back to like kind of the markets and the hobby and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you are right, so, so chase. So chase what you like is my point on that. Right. Like yes. That's the high level point is, is chase what you like and start there. I have I am not a like a broad and I, can investor I add context the- to that. Yeah. I think the reason is, is because when you have to explain to somebody why you like it, it cannot be because the price is going up. Like, and that's what I hear is people are like, oh, this is good because it's a rarer car, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but if you were to sit there and you were like, listen, first time I saw Carson Wentz made a throw, it stopped my heart. And it's the Mm -hmm. same thing with sneakers. You know, when people talk about their grails, it's like when I saw a cement four for the first time in a, in an East Bay magazine, I was like, Mm -hmm. I got it. And, and there's a nostalgia, there's a connection to it. And I would imagine building companies around products that cause that kind of emotional reaction is good business. Yeah. I honestly, there's, I mean, look around you right now. Nobody. Well, you should, yeah, you should see the rest of this room, right? Yeah. There is nobody that had an easier time uh, than we did at StockX on that side. Like, we didn't have to convince anyone to buy Jordans or Yeezys right. or, or, you know, Louis Vuitton or Supreme or Adidas. Like, we had to sell the most highly coveted products in yeah. the world, right? We had to, to do all the rest of it and not mess it up. But, like, I didn't have to convince anyone to, to buy what I was selling. Mm. Um, 
Okay, so this is completely off off to, uh, topic of what we were talking about. The kid with the mom at Nike, the one that yeah. was a reseller. Um, mm-hmm. My big takeaway was this generation coming up is going to have a huge issue with dealing with clout and the need to get clout because there's a lot of good business people out there that will always tell you to stay humble and stay in your lane. And this kid had to talk about it, but from Uh your like sneaker world perspective, did that do anything to Nike? Are they so big that it doesn't even matter? Well, it certainly doesn't do anything to to Nike. Um, You know, for, for people that don't, you know, know the full story, but um I think it's like Herbert is her last name. Um, and, uh, and Herbert, who is, um, who is as senior as you get at Nike. I mean, she was on the senior leadership team that, that reports into, um, you know, the CEO, um, her son was a sneaker reseller and, uh, and not a small one. I mean, he was, he was, you know, hundreds, thousands of shoes. And there was a business week article that, um, actually was an, a, a, uh, I give all the credit to our PR team who worked that article for years. I mean, there's quotes from me in that, that I gave to this reporter over really? two years ago, the guy had been working on the, on the, on the story forever. Um, and so it was a largely stock X focused and it was, um, uh, you know, and it was about the, the sneaker industry, but what they always do every single article they've ever come, they said, Hey, do you do are there any resellers who we can talk to? And so I don't know how they got to the kid or not, but the fact that he did the interview where, you know, they don't get paid money for, for that stuff knowing that his mother is, is at that level. But the flip side of it is that she's been, she was a Nike lifer, right? She'd been there for whatever it is, 20 years. Like she's a Nike lifer. She knows that PR rules the business. She knows that like the, the just the perception of that, like it doesn't matter if she tells everybody, her boss across the board, everyone at Nike, their perception of that was just a complete, you know, just black and white issue. So it was shocking that she let her son do that. It was shocking that, that he talked about it, the whole thing. But I got to say, not that I, uh, um, not that I wish anyone sort of bad luck, but for a period of time, she was the person responsible for looking me in the eye and say, now is not the time that Nike thinks that we can work with StockX. Good luck, you know, and, and, and walk, mm. but, which by the way, there were many people over the years that would I'm tell sure. us that. Uh, and uh, I never really had a, a relationship between Nike and StockX. But for a while, she was the person to tell us that. So whole thing is, is crazy, but does not impact Nike, even like one iota, because it doesn't matter. Because back to my last point, nobody cares. They want Jordans. They want Yeezys. They don't really care what the, the head of North America sales at Nike does. Like, no way, man. It's it, the, the parallels between sneakers and cars are, are so common, too, where the only difference is you're, you're waiting outside of a sneaker store versus a Walmart or a Target because I'm still seeing those crazy lines and people fighting over because of the possibilities of the financial flip. Yeah. Um and it's you know, it's it's so similar. And what well, and the sneaker industry has evolved, right? They it used to be really bad. It used to all be first come first serve. Sneaker releases used to happen at at 12:01 uh, a.m. on a Saturday night. So you'd all these people that would camp out at night and you know People are, are, are partying, doing it wherever they want. So the, the, the opportunity for riots and, and bad stuff to happen was way worse. Sneaker industry has cleaned all that up. Most of it is raffle-based. There's right. very little like first come, first serve. Trading card industry is at like day zero of that and targets and Walmarts to manage that and, and go through it. But th- And this gets back to the, the uh, you know, buy what you like and all these people rushing to it is it actually doesn't matter whether you care anything about trading cards or anything about sneakers or any of this is if this widget is being sold for a dollar and it's worth $10, well, who wouldn't buy that widget? And there's a, a, a immediately liquid market that you can go sell it. So right. it does not matter whether you care at all about that product. Like if it's, if it sells for a dollar and it's worth 10, like you're going to want to buy it. And that actually is not a distribution issue. It is not a, a safety issue a management. It is a pricing issue. So if Nike and sneaker companies and the trading card companies move more towards a true market pricing where they can sell things at market-based pricing, as opposed to this arbitrary concept of a retail price, mm. well, that is how you level the, the, the system there, right? Because that person, if, if it's dollar and worth 10, people are always going to want to buy it. 
but that's a massive, massive headache. And back to my point on the sneaker side, a massive PR issue to go in and have variable pricing for sneakers. Like this is what for years I'd walk into to, to Nike and Adidas and these people and say, Hey, you guys should get rid of retail pricing. And it's like, you know, kill me. Like it's just hard to even comprehend. I think trading cards can get there. And I think that they're, they've shown a little bit of interest in innovation Panini does this thing. They call it a Dutch auction. It's not a Dutch auction. We'll talk about that if you want. Yeah. Um, but they've done a little bit of direct-to-consumer of market-based pricing. But it is that idea of being this antiquated notion of retail pricing. That's what causes all the problems. And when you speak, say Dutch auction, that's like Panini, they'll release a box of hobby prism and it starts off at a high price and it comes down and it's just when someone punches it, right? That's that. That is the process they use. That is not a Dutch auction. The way What's a Dutch a, auction yeah, works. How's that work? The way a Dutch auction works is that um, everybody submits a bid, and let's say there's, let's say there there's only ten products, right? The top ten bids win, right? But if uh, the top bidder, it, the top bidder is a thousand dollars, and the second is nine hundred, eight hundred. Let's say the tenth highest bidder is four hundred dollars, and the eleventh is say three hundred dollars. Well, there's only ten products, so the top ten win, but the lowest winning price becomes the clearing price. So in that case, if the 10th highest bidder was $400, then everybody pays $400, even the person that bid $1,000. Mm. So that is a very fair system because what's happening is, first of all, everyone's buying the same asset. So they should pay the same price. What you have in Panini's example, uh, what they run is the exact opposite, right? If you buy it and the price keeps going down, well, now you're like, well, crap, you yeah, know, sure. I got screwed. I paid more than everybody else, right? There, and there is no, there is no fairness in that. So the, a Dutch auction is actually one of the most fair ways to price scarce assets, to price something that you don't know what it should be priced at. And you don't know when people have put in their bids yet, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. The, the, the best way to do it is as a, as a blind Dutch auction where everybody can bid whatever they want. So first of all, there is no FOMO. There is no beat the clock. There is right. no try. Like, like, no, you, you eliminate all of the, the external factors that causes someone to bid something other than what they truly believe is the fair price that they are willing to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, how all consumer goods should be sold, or at least all consumer goods that are scarce, that have a supply and demand constraint. Trading cards are a perfect one. Sneakers are, you know, are another. And it's just, it's just a complicated thing. And, it, and it's different. And it, but it's right. And we didn't make this up. Like, this is how the stock market works. Right. Like, we didn't make up a blind touch auction. Listen so to I, talk I, I about do think like, we're going to see more about this. Listening to you talk about like commodity pricing and, and sort of like hype and all of that. 2013, what perspective does, perspective does it give you about these alternative investment markets right now that are going on, seeing as how you were doing this eight years ago? Like what perspective do you have that, that has been a competitive advantage thus far? Well, not to answer, I, I don't know the answer to that, that second part in terms of competitive advantage, but I will say that um, when you take a step back from all of this, this is just supply and demand. I mean, this is like Econ 101 at its most basic. And I think a lot of people get tripped up in thinking that it's more and trying to overthink it, right? Like you and I are both deep into cards and, and have watched this growth over the past couple of years and to see, you know, cards like, you know, LeBron, Topps, Chrome, 10 going at one point as high as 50,000. Now it's probably down in the, in the mid twenties, but you know, uh, 18 months ago it was $1,500. And so even though it's gone up and down and there's been natural dips when, when you have prices that, that shoot up, there's only 2000 PSA tens that exist of that card, which feels like a lot in the trading card world and in the pop world. But like, think about how small 2000 is compared to the number of people that exist in the, the number of people who like LeBron, the number of people that might possibly want to own a LeBron card, like there's millions. So the fact that there's only 2000 of that card, like, I don't want to say it's that easy, but it's that easy. Like, it's just, there, it, it's just supply and demand across the I'm going to play board. devil's this- advocate for my friend Salehi, who's deep into sneakers. Mm-hmm. He goes, the thing with sneakers though, is that I can wear them out and I leave the house. And if you have the card, I need to go over to your place and then you need to show it to me. And I might not even know what it is, but there's also like an aesthetic to a sneaker as well. So I would just be curious to hear what your response is to that. Well, I, 
now you're just comparing you're you're literally comparing apples and oranges yeah, right? yeah true. is yeah sure there, there's, there's i mean they are both are, fruit no, i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah and and they are both things that i spend a ridiculous right. amount of money on so there is a a, a parallel there but like i said sneakers are not in, in investments um there are shoes that are worth money and and um but sneakers are not investments sneakers are are a are a consumer good. They're, they're something that you wear and, and have a different level of, of value for, for those purposes. Mm. Um, but the same thing is, yeah, like I might wear one pair of sneakers out, but you can't see the other 450 pairs of shoes that I have in my house. So, you know, yeah, it's what it is. But the, the, all of these markets are uh, supply and demand constrained. And, and even in the sneaker world, the shoes that are, are the most expensive, that are the most highly coveted are the ones that are extremely rare. You know, I think, I don't know if you can see if it's off camera, but there's some of like uh, yeah. Nike uh, Air Yeezy Twos Kanye. up there, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's Kanye drives the demand side of it and they were very limited. So the supply is really small. And so that's why those shoes are, are worth a lot of money. Right. Um, wh- what do you think the health of the market is right now, the card market? And then also if you can kind of share with me just the businesses that you're thinking about building. Because I think sure. uh, I, I got an opportunity to interview Damon John recently and I asked him, I said, I've actually met more CEOs in the last calendar year than I've met my entire life. And um, I always wanted to be one because of this like independence that you have. Uh, My dad ran his own business and I was like, oh, I kind of want to have that experience too. And I realized that there's the plight of the CEO of the successful CEO that accomplishes something, builds up something big, cashes in. And then there's that refractory period afterwards where it's like, now what? And you almost turn into like that junior in high school again, where everyone's like, where are you going to go to college? And you're like, mm-hmm. Hey man, I'm just, I'm doing my thing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so w- what has that process been like as well? I think a lot of successful people or at least motivated people um, don't really have much time between jobs, right? When you look back and, you know, almost every job, I've had almost every business I've started. I started it while I was at the previous company. Um, so there's almost, you know, there's almost no, uh, you know, that scenario that you laid out, like certainly could happen for people has never happened for me. Yeah. Um, but I left StockX because there were businesses in trading cards that I wanted to start that I couldn't not go do. And, and it took a while like for me being deep in the trading card space. You know, I got back into it at the end of 2018 uh, because at StockX, we were just looking, always looking for what products might make sense to put on the site. So I got back into 2018. I didn't leave StockX until September of 2020. So it was, you know, deep in the space for probably a good year, year and a half before I started to sort of uh, come up with the ideas of the businesses that I, that I wanted to create. And then it wasn't until like May of 2020 that I kind of had this almost like realization that, you know, just because I started the company doesn't mean I need to stay there. Mm. And then for like, from like May to September, it was just this like flood of, of, you know, ideas and excitement and, and, and trying to, to put the pieces together that made sense for me to, to go and, and take that leap and leave. And um, there's only one business that we've started so far that is uh, public or that that's sort of out there. We created a company called Six Forks Kids Club, uh, which is a, a completely um, basically random name uh, for a, an investment management company where you know, we, we run funds and other financial services products for trading cards. Again, with the, the idea that trading cards are a true investable asset, I was saying to people for, for you know, a, a year, I used to say, well, you know, Vanguard will have trading card mutual funds one day, you know, or, you know, and then I was like, hold on. I was like, why don't we just create the vanguard of trading card mutual funds. So right. it's a pretty simple business uh, model, but it's premised on the supply and demand imbalance of trading cards and, and thinking that the market as a whole has continued to go up. So to your point, I think the trading card market or your question earlier is remarkably strong right now and is getting stronger every single day. The other businesses not ready to sort of announce them or talk about them, but you know, it's worth noting that um, I have already been through one complete pivot in terms of I started a company, had financing for it, started to launch it. It failed. We retooled it, started a completely new company with some new partners and new financiers, and have started that second business already up in just the period of time from September, 
you know, to now. And now that that second version of that company is uh, looks pretty good. And so hopefully I'll be able to announce some stuff, you know, at some point in the near future. But all these things tie together because the the core of the trading card uh, business is if you look at trading cards as an investable asset, then the way that you think about that can be way different than thinking about it as this retail product that sits on the shelf at Target. Mm. And when you combine that with the fact that, so we know trading cards are an investable asset. We know it's a consumer good. Opening packs of cards is straight gambling, right? Period. And, and breaking takes that to a different form. But so now you have gambling as part of it and trading cards are part of culture. Trading cards sit at the intersection of culture and commerce and the athletes that are on cards are as important to our culture as, as, any, as anyone else. So you have these really four unique industries that trading cards sit at the intersection of. And so there's just so much that you can do there from a, a business model standpoint. And so that's kind of how, how we've been thinking about it. But, but again, only one business, no, no breaking news here. For, uh, for that's, it's interesting that you say the market's so strong because I feel like in every conversation I have with people that are deep into it, even people that have been in for like 10 years, there's always a part where they go, how do you feel about it right now? You still feeling confident? Are you a little bit nervous? Why do you think that that happens all the time? Well, there's two, two, there's two groups of people. Um, there's one, the people that have gotten back into it in the past couple of years and those that have been through here through the whole thing. And if you've been here through the whole thing, you've seen a lot of rough times. You've seen ups and downs. You've seen, you know, the crash of, of um, uh, what was it? 2008, um, where the card market took a, took a big hit. People have lost a lot of money at, at different times. And so there's an, a natural uh, inclination to, to just be cautious. Right. And not, and not, not get our, our hopes up and be cautiously optimistic. So that's one. And two, it's so big and there's so much money at stake now that no matter how good you feel, if your cards are worth millions of dollars, right? You're just, just, and, and this is what's great for so many people that have like come up through the, the industry that didn't put millions of dollars into it. But if you, if they were buying cards, if you have kids who were buying cards in 2013, 2014, 2015, like now the value of their collection can be so extraordinary. Like we know people that have, have sold their, their card collection to go buy houses, yeah. you know, off of this stuff. It's amazing. So there's just a natural, like, is this real? Like, is it like, like, what am I missing? Is the whole thing. And I spent 18 months every day trying to figure out like where are the holes in this market? Like, how is this thing going to collapse? Where's the next crash? Like, what am I missing to this before I decided to leave StockX? And I think there's, there's plenty of, of things that could go wrong, but I got to the realization after 18 months and I was like, this is just supply and demand. It is that simple at the highest level. And no matter what you want to say about macroeconomic factors or, or fake cards or, or shield bidding or, or any of this stuff, there's only 2,000 LeBron Topps Chrome 10s. And that's just a tiny number of cards who exist. Mm-hmm. And so as you have more and more people come into the industry, whatever that card's at today versus January versus, I think that card is, is 10x in five years, regardless of, of what it is, probably even more than that, just because of the supply and demand imbalance. I, I brought up NFTs earlier. You were someone in our chat that was not the biggest fan of Top Shot. Um, and I, there's been some charts recently that a lot of it has dropped, but a lot like the card industry as well, scarcity and rarity has mattered and the important players have, have held up somewhat. Yeah. Um, I, I said it on this show weeks ago. I said, I, I don't think the Aaron Aflalo moments are going to maintain. I don't think yeah. the Robin Lopez blocks are going to still be a thing. And so that was right. the advice I tried to give out. But I think it's interesting that you took a very physical world experience waiting in line to buy a piece of an article that you would put on your feet and you made that a digital experience. And I'm watching our world transition into digital with NFTs, non-fungible tokens, whether it's top shot or so rare or just art in general. And, and I, 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 I get it. And at the same point, there's like the 80-year-old guy in the back of my head that's like, what the hell's going on? Uh, why were you not as bullish about Top Shot? And where do you think this all goes? Yeah. I mean, I, I, as if you're just setting me up perfectly, like it's just supply and demand. And, you know, Top Shot is um, you can't. And this is what what people in the sneaker industry have tried to do forever, which is you can't create demand 
just by making something scarce, right? Now, sometimes the more scarce it is, it will make demand more, right? But there still has to be some inherent demand that exists in that thing. And to your point on Robin Lopez block moments, it doesn't matter how scarce that is. Do I, and I don't want to, you know, shit on Robin Lopez, but, but like, what's okay. a Robin he Lopez moment, much. right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I, if he does, you know, though, some, shout out Robin Lopez. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but how much is a Robin Lopez rookie card? I don't know. A dollar. Like yeah. I'm not investing in Robin Lopez rookie card. So why am I investing in his top shot? And what's interesting about the, the scarcity um, construct for NFTs, which is the blockchain ownership um, is, is great. Um, and by the way, let me just preface. I think NFTs are, are here to stay and are going to be a massive uh, part of, of everything moving totally. forward. But the, the number of NFTs that can possibly exist no matter how scarce any individual is, yes, we can control this one to only be 10 or only be one. The number of NFTs that can possibly exist is infinite. And we've seen this even in the last 30 days, there's already basically an infinite out there because it's so easy to mint an NFT. And there's so many people that are going to try to go for that gold rush and, and put stuff out. So it's actually infinite. So at a macro level, cards are way scarcer than NFTs. There's probably more NFTs that exist in the world already today in the last 30 days than cards I don't know. I'm, I'm no, making that up. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually yeah, yeah. true, but maybe. And, and so to me, it makes the physical that much more valuable because there mm. is some inherent demand for those cards separate from it. And then the last thing to your point, yeah, like the LeBron moments, the, you know, the Zion moments, whomever. Yes, because there's some inherent demand in those people and for the products that they are part of. And that's why that is valuable. But yeah, I, I think seeing seeing where we're at in the prices, I'm not at all surprised at where Top Shot is. I know a cool moment for you. I know it came in a Chronicles pack. I don't remember, but the John mm-hmm. Morant dunk attempt over Kevin Love in which he's full leg spread dunking in the background, you see StockX in the logo. Yeah. And talking to Carvin, who was the designer of uh, Upper Deck Exquisite, he has said before that they really try and like block that stuff out. And I think part of it goes to like the Mark Jackson card with the Menendez brothers, like what that became. Um, But how many of those cards do you have? Uh, And did that become a chase card for you? Yeah. So I, um, I don't, um, don't have any physical cards here because the, I think everyone that I own is at PSA being graded. Yeah. Um, we'll I, which I years. Right. Exactly. Um, man, I, I had this here. I had this pulled up. Um, here it is. Um, so I don't know if we can see this in, in the yeah. picture. So there's the card and then I'm going to zoom in on the very bottom. See very back there. You can see it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, and this it's is in, in Cleveland. Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavs, and they're playing the Cavs with Kevin Love. It worked out perfectly. Yeah, you know, we had a, a a small deal with the Cavs where we had some signage in the arena and in the locker rooms and et cetera. And so, not only that, it got caught in a picture, but like that's about as I- iconic as a moment from that season as there was in the entire season. So yeah, I probably have about thirty or forty um, of those that I bought. You know, because I could, I was buying them raw for, for, you know, between 20 to 30 bucks. So I just kept buying them and then I was sending them all to be graded. And then uh, we'll see how many of my friends watch your show. I was going to, I'm going to send them to people at StockX and, um, and nice. send them to different people I've worked with over the years and, and to have that, um, that car. I'll keep the tens for myself, but I'll send them any nines and eights that come back and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. go back just, just that, to have it in a slab and stuff that was just, just a, a pretty cool moment. Very, very cool moment. All right. We got to wrap up, but I'm, I'm curious. Is there anything else that you've been thinking about recently that, uh, you don't think other people are thinking about and you'd like to start a conversation? Well, that's a pretty huge, uh, question for wrapping up. Uh, yeah. see how, how, how deep we go on that. Well, I will say this because, um, there's, a ton of talk these days around um, those of us who have a platform and get to talk about how much we're, we're moving markets and how much we're, uh, we're in inflating stuff. Um, I'll just say that I've been buying personally a ton of, of music cards. Um, I've been buying all this sixties and seventies Hendrix and Marley and, and Dylan and Zeppelin and Beatles and Rolling Stone and, and all this stuff. And um, it's just, first of all, it's so cool. And I think those people are as iconic as any athletes ever. 
And, um, and there's just not that much out there. And, um, and so I've been buying a lot of that stuff. And I, I just think we're going to see generally, whether it's, it's music stars or whether it's um, uh, other people, I just think we're going to start, start seeing cards for all walks of life in all areas of culture. You know, we see little, little pieces of it here and there. I mean, uh, that's my question for you is you understand hype. Is it simply the artists themselves displaying the cards? Is it more famous collectors? Like what is it going to make it more pervasive in all of society? Well, th- those are, there are two parts of that, right? One is as it just becomes more and more part of, of society as more people like you and I and people that are, are in the light talk about cards because cards are cool again. For the longest times, cards weren't cool. You know, all of us grew up, we, we went to high school, we went to college, we left cards behind. But now the people that create culture that are on TNT, mm. right, that, you know, that are world famous DJs, whomever, they're out there talking about cards because it's something that they actually genuinely like. And so that starts to shape the narrative and make it more cool. The financial aspect helps everything else right. helps on that side. But I just think we're going to start seeing more cards of those people other than athletes, other than professional sports athletes. And I think that the, I think the, the demand is there, right? The best example of this is, is the Dwayne Johnson card, right? The rocks university of Miami card that, you know, I think the last sale was, was maybe $90,000 or maybe even more than that. I think there's a PSA 10 right now at, at golden. I don't know what that one ended for, but like, that is obviously about the rock being, you know, the most famous actor in the world. That's not about his, his, his college football career in 1994. So anyway, I think there's demand out there for it. I think these people are as iconic as anyone in the world. And so we'll see who starts making them and whether it's tops or Panini or whether there's new companies or, or whatever it is they're Like, I just think those people are important. I'll just say, uh, I don't even know if this is a good idea, but if you were to make sneakerhead cards, and so you had like a Tinker Hatfield or you had, yeah. um, you know, some of the, the, the people that are in the game. I do think that, you know, if we ever reach a point where Nike or Adidas or have cards as part of those friends and family boxes or something like that, finding ways to connect the two would be really interesting. Well, even go look at the Jordan promo, right? The, the Nike Jordan promo card from, from, from 85. So there have been small things, you know, here or there. I just think we'll start seeing more and more of that. And, you know, maybe it takes a minute because, you know, tops of Panini and Upper Deck, those guys are so underwater just trying to keep up with sports. But there's no question there's a there's demand for it, right? They'll run off a, a one-off card of, of Adam Lefko and, and give it to you at, yeah. you know, how many, how many of those do they make? 50. So it was a nice thing to do for you, but, like, the world can't, can't embrace that, right? Or no. can't, you know, open up packs of, of, uh, of TNT cards yet. I don't know. I've been telling them, I was like, I want to do a joke segment called NFTNT, where we just take moments from the show and we mint them and like just right away. And I was like, I was like, look, I was like, I know this is like really complicated. I was like, I just want to do it as, as a gag. I was like, yeah. we'll just go on there and like make fun of like Candace yelling at Shaq. And like, that's, that's the new minted NFT NT, but I think that could be cool. Um, I, something there. You liked it. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, Josh, what is your social handles that people should follow? Uh, just my IG, just Josh Luber, Josh Luber at IG. That's it. That's L-U-B-E-R. Josh, that's it. it was good talking to you, bro. Thanks for having me on, man. When you do launch, you don't have to do it here, but if you want to do it here, you can. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I'll do it. I'll do it live on air with you, Shaq, T-Wade and Candace. Yeah, yeah. I could talk to, I'll talk to the producer. If it's that big of an idea. But then the problem is, is Shaq's going to say, hey, I need a part of the company if you want us to do this on TV. <laughs> Josh, good talking to you, bro. Great talking to you, man. Thanks. See you, man. What is up? What is good? How you living? How you feeling? How you doing? Uh, I watched this movie, Bad Trip, and I was cracking my ass off the entire time. Uh, I have enjoyed everything this guy has done, Lil Rel Howery, uh, and then I see he's partnering up to do a bunch of stuff with March Madness as well, The Art of Trash Talk. What I love are funny people that also love sports because I have a lot of funny people that don't love sports. And Lil Rel, I have to imagine, are you a unicorn in this space or are there a lot of funny people that do like sports in your world? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of sports fans, especially among comedians. Um, you know, some of the cats that, I like, that will come over to the house or to watch like the national championship game or NBA finals playoffs, honestly, are mostly comedians mm. that I'm cool with. And, you know, 
we invite a bunch of girls to hang out with us just so it look cool. So we don't like a bunch of dudes. But no, it's, 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 I got a, and it's funny too, even in that space, I got a lot of homegirls who are like huge basketball fans. Mm. So like, that's another thing, like to like be friends with just all these different people who love basketball. And then like, since I've been in this business, I've been able to like to meet the announcers and like totally. just random people I'm friends with now. Like, dang, that's crazy. Only person I wish I was friends is Bill Walton, just so he could just name off names constantly. He just as he. I was talking BJ with Barkley about him because he had him on his podcast, and I was like, "There's three people in the world that I feel like can be high all the time and nobody cares, and it's Snoop Dogg, Willie Nelson, and Bill Walton. And I don't know if he is, but he's just going. He's in a, from he's like from a different planet. He just uh, I remember one of the things. Rest in peace, Steve Snapper Jones. Mm was watching those two like, on NBA on NBC announce and just go at it all the time. Like Snapper used to just disregard everything Bill Walton would say. And it was so funny that he did. A, he, it was times when Bill Walton was right, but Steve Snapper Jones didn't care. He still like disagreed with him. Um, what was, so you're, you're here with Affleck and March Madness um, and the art of trash talk. I'm curious, like, I, it sounds like you're an NBA guy. Was it mainly March Madness you filling out the bracket and all that. And is there a moment or two that really stuck with you? To my this year? In general. I mean, the Sug shot in the Final Four, I think we're, none of us are going to forget. That was insane. Oh, yeah. That was crazy. I mean, UCLA's run was just crazy. And, like, you know, it's so, it, and it, I mean, with this year, right? I, I, it's a couple of things I liked a lot. I, the Big Ten really broke my heart. Are you this a Big year. Ten like, guy? I, yeah, I'm from Chicago. Gotcha. So, you know, you know, Illinois and Michigan and all those schools, they look so good this year. And just, uh, it was just tumbling down. It was like, it was, like, it was weird to watch it like that. Like, wait, what? We, just, we played all those regular season games to get to the tournament yeah. and nobody won. Um, but it's some great mo- – I mean, look, one of my favorite moments of March Madness is when they do the one shining moment thing. Like, that's – I look forward Bowl to this. I- oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> one shining moment. <laughs> I've, so I've had to cover a few – and it's incredible how people will wait in the arena an hour after the game just so they can watch one shining moment. And no clip is shown for more than two seconds. Like, it's just like clip, <laughs> clip, clip, clip. And people get done. They're like, it's incredible. And I'm like, you like the song. Like, the song is what you like. Yeah. I'm not a one shining moment hater. I'm a one shining moment truther. But nobody ever downloads the song. Like you know, you can just listen to the, yeah to the song if you want. There's only two second clips, but okay. And they love they love matching video with words. So it's like <laughs> you know they'll be like uh, I don't even know the words of the song, but they'll like somebody will, like point at the camera white when they're like shining star, and they're like oh it's so good, it's so good. <laughs> wow, I'm a, I'm a hater of one shining moment. I didn't realize that. <laughs> Lil Rel taught me something today. Um, <laughs> This past year has been crazy, but one of the best things was the last dance. And I'm bringing it up because you're wearing head to toe Chicago Bulls gear. Um, I do, I do NBA on TNT Tuesdays with Candace and Wade, and they yeah. couldn't stop talking about it being from Chicago. Uh, did you, did it just take you back to your childhood? What was that experience like? Oh, it took, so this is so funny you bring that up that Candace and D Wade couldn't stop talking about it. Me and Common. We was all out to dinner. Tiff, uh, Tiffany had yeah. one of my best friends. We celebrate her Grammy. Yo, when we got into that last dance conversation. It was just, it's, it has to be a Chicago thing. Like, we almost got emotional re talking about it. Like, yo, when Mike cried, bro. Yo, yo, when Mike cried, yeah. it yeah. felt like watching your dad cry. Like, you like, oh, I'm gonna be at home. Like, Mike, don't do it. Mike, don't do this. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> And I was like, I got ready for the last day. Because, you know, once again, we was in quarantine. So it was something I looked for. I was like making crab legs every Sunday. Just me by myself sitting there watching the last day. Just, and it was so, it brought up so many memories. It made you respect, to me, respect Jordan even more, to be quite honest with you. And, but it's, it's such a connection with Chicago. I know a lot of people loved it. But that's why I brought up comment. We couldn't stop talking about it at dinner. I, I know Tiffany was getting irritated. Like, uh, would y'all change the subject? Right. It's like we talk about every single episode. It's almost like we did our own commentary on the DVD. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's not a bad extra. That's not a bad extra. You, Common, Candace, just sitting around talking about the game. But what was it? Because 
I grew up in Philadelphia, so it was kind of the opposite of Chicago where we didn't experience a championship until like 2007 from 1983. But like in the 90s, you have Michael Jordan standing next to Michael Jackson and Bugs Bunny and Macaulay Culkin. Like that's what I remember that it was the only jerseys that were cool in my area were an Iverson jersey and then a Bulls jersey because they were just so good for so long. Did that give, mm-hmm. do you think the people of Chicago any more confidence? Just like, oh no, we're a city of champions. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what those moments give you. Like, that's, that's what I'm saying. When To reminisce those championships again, right? It made me reminisce my, where my confidence comes mm. from. You know, those moments was like, it may sound corny, but it's like you can do anything or something like it. It's, I, I feel like that's why Kevin Garnett was like, you know, when he won his championship and he's doing, a, it, I feel like he had a Bulls moment in that moment. Mm. Like you just felt like your hero. So like, I, even those, I remember, I remember exactly where I was at with those championships. I remember the '91 T-shirts. We all have the big old heads, and we couldn't wait to wear the '91 like those championship shirts. Big, shirt. big heads, which I'm still, I'm trying to find those because I'm like, yo, those are good shirts, man. Uh, but you know, that's why I got all this stuff. Like I knew once I started making money. I'm not going to even tell you how much I own. I own a disgusting amount of Bulls gear. Like, what's the prize? I, what's the prize? What's the grail? I don't have. I, look, man. Also, too, I wear everything too. You know, some people buy these. This is a Pippen jersey here, and I bought the Mike one just like this the other day. Uh, I wear them. Gotcha. Like, I don't get this. Like, ooh, I'm gonna just put this. In. No, 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 no. I, and I own a lot of NBA jerseys because I had an Iverson jersey on the other day, so I wear everything. But the Bulls gear. I got like a Father's Day Bulls hoodie. I, I, <laughs> I got a Bulls hoodie that says "Number One Dad" on the back. Right? You know? <laughs> like, Do you have any? Are I you into sports that? cards at all? I used to be. Okay, I'm just saying. I just want you to go to like eBay and, and type in 1985 Michael Jordan Nike promo. It's the card that mm-hmm. Nike actually made with the release of the original bread ones. And it's in the it's the only Jordan card where he's in the full Jumpman pose, and it's it's like art, and it's not a card that's this big. It's a card that's this big. Now that I hear that you have an addiction, this would fill that addiction pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that excited, I get weird. They're like, okay, <laughs> I will. I will own all of them. Um, I, I want bad trip. What's interesting, and this is deep in the weeds, with with movies, I feel like you guys shoot something and then it goes somewhere else and gets kind of done for like two years in post. And then there's like, then everyone wants to talk to you about it. This, it like released and then you had a Netflix moment too. So it like had like a second life as well. Yeah. I loved it. I'm in Atlanta right now for the show. And when you guys were in JR Crickets, the characters there, that woman Oh my God, dude. It was perfect. Jackie, Jackie, Jackie. Jackie, <laughs> um, Jackie so uh, uh, you better get him, girl. No, <laughs> Jackie, Jackie was so stupid. My, my only question is like, Eric is, he does this stuff all the time. W- were you nervous at all during any of it? Was it, was it straight fun? Well, it was a couple of things. I mean, this thing, but I've always wanted to do one of these type of movies because I'm a big Jackass fan, and you know the Jackass guys, of got, uh, Jack, part of this, and uh, so yeah. But then the first day was so crazy. I I really quit the first day actually because I was like, we almost got stabbed. I'm like, nah, I ain't doing. That's this. when you I'm guys like, were connected by the Chinese finger trap, yeah, and you yeah. went to the barber shop. Barber shop, and brother came out. And we came. I don't know what he was talking about before we came. It felt like. He was having a conversation like, like let, let somebody walk in here with some Chinese figure traps connected to today's stuff. Yeah, and see what happens. Like, I'm like, because he was so angry so fast. I'm like, bro, we just, and we was like really nice about it. Excuse me. Um, I had me. to rewind and, it because it took five seconds for him to chase you out with a knife. I was like, what happened? Uh, yeah. Man. It was, it was, um, you know, <laughs> it was crazy. And then for him to sign the release was even weird because he was like, Man, I almost killed y'all, man. <laughs> what do I sign? Like, what? Did you watch any of Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Isley Brothers last night? Oh, yeah. I am still on 10 about it. That was, oh, so good. So, that, and that's like my, 
you know, I'm an old soul. People don't know that. So like, uh, I was I was losing my my, and we was watching it in a place. So we just, you know, I'm stepping. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was crazy. Oh, it was four hours. I'm like, man, we step. Like you gotta watch. What you do have to watch is the the after versus thing that Afion Crockett, Godfrey, and uh, I Spice didn't know Adams. Godfrey had that kind of a Steve Harvey impression. And I was getting ready to do MBA this week, just watching it, and I had to stop working. He was so good. It was amazing. <laughs> He's always done Steve really well. I don't, I don't think Steve like it, but it is. <laughs> Yesterday was so on the elements of earth, whole wind and fire. Oh my God. <laughs> my fiance and I have talked about what if we just, cause we're getting married in like two months. What if we just use all the money and book earth, wind and fire and invite like nobody, but they, it's just like them performing for us. Yeah. That was so good last night. Man. It was to see them, but for them to get up and sing to all the vibrato, I, I mean, Ron Isley, Ron Isley, it's women going crazy. It's kind of, which is weird. He's, he's really somebody's grandfather. He's 79. They all these women like, oh, look at daddy. Daddy, look at. Like, which what? is proof nice. that if you get a little bit of Bayesian and some new teeth, you got it. <laughs> 79 years old. Well, he embraced his great, like I've embraced mine, but it'd be, it's so funny that like, everybody talking about he's daddy, but I'm wearing my great, like, man, you look old. And I'm like, awesome. Oh, Brother, but he is there. Everybody think he's sexy. Not with mine. I look old. Okay. Give it, give it 40 more years <laughs> and you'll become a zaddy. Yeah, you become a zaddy. You can't even use it. Um, uh, let's, let's go to, to Aflac really quick because they've been kind enough to connect us. Uh, were you a good trash talker? And, and have you ever been trash talked to a point where it like kind of hit you in your chest and you're like, that, I wasn't ready for that? Oh man, I was a huge trash talker. You know what I'm saying? Especially like <laughs> growing up on the west side of Chicago. You know, like you watch the movie like Above the Rim, like, yo, and that's how we was playing. You know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> you call a foul, they be like, no, ain't no foul. Especially if like you're going against like gang members. You know what I'm saying? I'm just being, <laughs> I'm just like, ain't no foul. They like, no foul. I'm like, wait, but you just you slapped my arm. No, I didn't. <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> so you learn who you're supposed to talk trash to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chill. Uh, but that's how competitive me and my brothers were, you know, like we, I mean, from the court to the video games, like we used to, me and my brothers, you could tell we about to fight each other. We had to learn to be humble right away. Cause as soon as somebody acted like they was too happy about winning, especially when they was blowing you out. If you saw a smirk, it was like, Hey man, you better stop smirking, bro. Hey, you bragging? <laughs> Just a smirk was enough for us to be like, I'm going to be like, stop. See, that's why y'all don't play the game. Y'all doing, y'all about to fight again over a stupid video game. Okay. Who's Ed O'Bannon? Because that's when we used to play the college basketball oh, game. Oh, yeah. Who the O'Bannon? <laughs> Let your brother be the O'Bannon brothers this time. I, uh, <laughs> I got a chance during Saturday when UCLA was making the game with Gonzaga. I asked Reggie, because we had Reggie Miller on the show. And I was like, man, you could talk some trash. What would you be saying right now? He said, if I was Juzan, after every basket, I'd be walking down and be like, you are undefeated? And you're supposed to beat us by how much? He's like, but I would save it for the second half because you don't want to like talk all that trash in the first half and then they run away in the second. But yeah, I, I love good trash talking. Screw the whole, like give the ball back to the ref. No. Reggie's one of the best to do. Uh, you know, we did uncle drew him and Kyrie was doing a Dave and Buster's game. It was, it was up to this day. I've never seen shooters play that game and David Buster's like those two. I've, I, you know, people usually with their family, they got the girlfriend on a date, and they just shooting, having a good time. Them two was ping, 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 ping. It was like, yo, the machine gonna break. What are y'all doing? Like, this is, this is, it was the most insane thing. And they was talking. They was talking. And it wasn't like, I thought it was just the plan at first. Like, no, they were serious, and they was, like, going at it in full gear. It was crazy. It was one of the greatest things I've ever watched. Actually. That's something that I need to set up. NBA on TNT, we need to bring a Papa shot into the studio and just create like a leaderboard. So it was, yeah, because you always think like maybe normal people have an advantage because it's like this weird game. No, they're still amazing at it. Okay. <laughs> That's what's weird about it. You, when you're around the best, like even like, you know, and it's just to bring in up that movie, it's just like when Lisa Leslie got hot for real, she got hot. They, they were playing those games. Mm. And she was on fire crowd started going she had like nine shots straight 
that wasn't a movie thing. She, it, it was weird how like a switch goes off on these legends where they just become who they, who they are. Who they're destined to be, yeah. She, she's like, I haven't played in since I retired. She, she, got, she, was, on, okay. she was on fire with me. Yo, this is blowing my mind. I, the first time I saw it was a few weeks ago, to be honest. Uh, I was hanging out with Wade and it was on before like the documentary NBA on TNT. We wanted to watch it and just kind of see what it was like. And there's a few things that I took away. One Shaq came on screen and me and Wade just started dying because like he is a one of one of a one of one. Like there's no, like he's naturally funny. He naturally understands timing. And also he's the biggest human being that you've ever seen in your entire life. And like, also like, I have seen people get starstruck by Shaq that are stars themselves. Like he's just that guy. But then I saw Kyrie give this like speech uh, soliloquy in the movie. And I, I hit pause and I go, this is Kyrie. Like everyone that's out there going, this guy is different or he's weird or he doesn't take it seriously. I was like, no, in his mind, he is a thespian that delivers prose. Like, I don't know. Like as you're seeing people talk about Kyrie having been in a movie with him, that cleared up stuff for me. You know, he's he's very smart, man. He's very smart, and you know, he loves the game too. I think that's what blew my mind. I'm not saying everybody else don't, but like his respect for basketball was crazy, and and for the cats before him, because you know we would all sit on that bus together because it'd be hot outside, especially when we had to shoot outside, and Reggie. Chris, Shaq, uh, Lisa, all be giving him this advice, and he was soaking that in. He wasn't talking back. He was letting it, whatever. It, it was one of the most special things, I think, that's, that we maybe not talk about much about that movie. I think if from a, being a fly on the wall to watch these legends just talk to who I believe is a future Hall of Famer, just uh, just putting them on game, just t- telling the real, it was the craziest thing. I was like, yo, I would have paid to be in this movie Yeah, for this I can't believe they paying me. Like I was thinking at the hotel, I can't believe I get paid to do this. This is crazy. <laughs> Dude, it's that's awesome. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you uh, again. Aflac, Aflac, Aflac. I always want to give them props. Uh, <laughs> anything before you go? Yeah. Uh, well, look. First of all, I had so much fun doing those commercials with Rob Riggle, who is hysterical. Yes. Like it's you know you work with some funny people who just and he's another sports yes, guy. At the time when we shoot. This is before the Super Bowl. He's a Kansas City fan, so you know how that went. Uh, so, <laughs> but no, uh, man, shout out to Aflac for uh, hooking us up. Shout out uh, Aflac for putting us in these amazing, funny commercials. And guess what? Yeah, I get your trash talk on. There's one more game left. That's it. We're gonna see who's gonna win. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a good one. I think it's gonna be a good one. Do you have a pick? I'll give you some stats because I had to prepare for tonight. Uh, this is the fifth time in the history of college basketball that the preseason number one is facing the preseason number two. In all four games, the number two team has won, which I think is interesting. Gonzaga's trying to become the first undefeated team to win it all since 1976, I believe, Indiana. Wow. Um, but they look amazing. Your official pick is... I mean, Zaga's the safe pick, but I don't think that I, because I, I feel like they had it easier than anybody. I mean, what there was no, but it was just like it was it was too easy breezy for me. But we'll see what. Happens. So you're going Baylor. Yeah. Okay. He like, covered I his like, mouth like too, that. so we can't like really yeah. show it later. <laughs> smart, smart. <laughs> Little Rel, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it, and uh, keep kicking ass, dude. We'll keep watching. We appreciate you, brother. All right, man.